0: Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. We have been in the book of Acts for a long time. And we've got a couple of, a few weeks left, but today we're in Acts chapter 22. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you what this passage is about. A brief synopsis of this passage. Uh, basically, in this story... Paul shares his testimony with a hostile crowd of people. Now, it's always intimidating sharing the gospel with people, but imagine if you're Paul and you're having to share your testimony of how you became a Christian with a crowd that wants to kill you. This is the the story that we find ourselves in Acts chapter 22. Now, this is kind of a repeat of Acts chapter 9. We looked at that uh, back in the springtime. But we're going to have like a little bit of a different take on this passage as before. This is Paul sharing his testimony, which is another fancy way of saying story, the story of how he came to faith. And if you think about a testimony, there's just something about a testimony, isn't there? When you hear someone else share how they came to know Christ, um, there's just something powerful about that. This past week, uh... When I was at, I was at Starbucks working on this message, and it was funny because this guy and I started talking, and he saw my big um, ESV Bible; it weighs like ten pounds, and he's like, "Oh, you're Christian!" And so we start talking, and uh, and so he begins sharing with me his testimony and just telling me about how, all through high school, he thought he was saved or would say that he was saved, then began having doubts and questions, and really. Came, came to the conclusion that he wasn't really saved, and he really was actually against the idea of Christianity uh, partway through college. And then something happened in college where God just got a hold of him, and he said that he was addicted to pornography throughout most of his teenage years. He said he was trying to deal with that on his in his own strength, and he just said, "You know, I just felt like that that I was not submitting my life to God. I was not submitting myself to Jesus. And so at some point in college, he decided to let all that stuff go, and to submit himself to Christ, and uh, he's walking with Christ now. So there's something, when you hear someone tell their story of how they came to faith, there's something powerful about that. And so as we look at this story, uh, we're going to see Paul lay out his testimony to a crowd of people that want to kill him. So with that in mind, uh, look at your first three questions, and go ahead and discuss those at your tables. Go ahead and discuss All right, let's look at Acts chapter 22, verse one, and look down at your Bibles or on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And uh, actually, go to, the, go to my next slide is a map. I've been using this map to show you kind of the course of Paul's journey. This is his third missionary journey. What Paul did was he would go throughout this whole area, encouraging churches throughout this part of the world. And so um, if we can make sense of this, he starts his journey in Antioch, which is kind of on the very far right edge and just follow the red line. It's real simple. And it goes all the way over here to um, parts of Greece. Then the rest of his journey is trying to get back to Jerusalem. So this story begins right when he gets back into Jerusalem right here in verse 1. Now what happens in Jerusalem is really crazy. He first goes to the city. He gets arrested in the temple there in Jerusalem because the Jewish people know that he's now become a Christian, and they are Suspicious of him, they want to try to put him in prison or kill him, so he gets arrested in the temple by the Jewish people. The crowd starts to beat him. The crowd begins to beat him there in the temple. So the military leaders at this point rush in and they arrest him because their thought is, okay, if someone's getting a beat down, they 've probably done something wrong. so let's just get him handcuffed so we can kind of get the crowd away and figure out what this guy really did to deserve such a beatdown. So they arrest him. And they're about to haul him off to prison, and in this moment where Paul has just been beaten by this crowd, and he's about to get hauled off to prison, he says, hang on a second. He says to the guard, he says, hang on a second, let me speak to the crowd. And this is his speech to the crowd. So he's sharing this testimony with people that just beat him up, that just whooped him, okay? So look at verse 1 of chapter 22. It says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So Paul is giving them his resume. He is telling them, I am from a significant city, Tarsus. I was raised in and educated in a significant city, Jerusalem. I was taught under a significant teacher, this guy Gamaliel. He was actually the, the best-known Jewish teacher at the time. This would be like Harvard. This would be like, oh, you went you went to his school. Oh, wow, okay. And so there's this instant respect that he's going to garner from laying out his resume, telling him, this is where I came from. Look at uh, verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way, meaning Christianity to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So this is what Paul did. Paul would go after people before he was a Christian, before he was a Christian, he would go after Christians to try to put them in prison, to try to possibly even kill them. He would get letters, he would get lists of people from the chief priest saying, okay, there's some Christians over here, can you go over there and arrest them, bring them back to us, we're going to try them, we're going to put them in prison, we're possibly going to put them to death because of what they're doing with this thing, this this guy called Jesus Christ. So most of us just see Paul as the guy who wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, when we think of Paul, we think of that. But when the early church thought of Paul, they thought of basically a terrorist. They thought of the guy who terrorized the early church. They thought of the guy who came in and arrested, it says men and women. Now, how heartless do you have to be to arrest women, right? Right? I mean, for you ladies that have ever gotten a speed, anybody here been pulled over? That's a lady in the room, been pulled over by a cop. Uh, speeding, and uh, everyone knows that you just cry and you get out of your ticket, right? Um, I tried this once. It did not work. Now, but let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But let's just be really honest. I mean, in in our culture today, it'd be hard for us to, to think in these terms, but Paul, Paul showed no discrimination. He would go arrest Let's, let's, let's unpack this. He would go arrest moms. He would arrest moms, pull them away from their kids, take them to prison because they were a Christian, okay? This is what this guy was known for in the early church. Paul even says, he says, they know my story. Ask the chief priest, they know my story. They know who I used to be. Look at verse 6. He says, about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My, com- my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So Paul is going to persecute Christians in Damascus, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial, to possibly be put in prison or to be put to death. And all of a sudden, he's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him in a bright light. He hears an audible voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want you to imagine for a moment that you are Paul, and you've been killing Christians, arresting Christians. And then Jesus shows up and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And just how that would pierce you. Imagine if Jesus appeared to you today when you're about to sin and said, why? And pleaded and said, why are you about to do this? Why why are you doing this? You can imagine how that would pierce you to the heart. So Paul gets pierced to the heart. And in verse 10, he says, what shall I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So look in verse 10 at Paul's question. He says, what should I do? This is a question about obedience. Paul's second question to Jesus was, okay, what should I do? Now that I know who you are, what should I do? This is a question about obedience. Obedience. Could we say that Paul had really been changed? Listen to me. Look at me. Could we say that Paul had really been changed if he had not obeyed? Could we say that Paul had really been changed by Jesus if he didn't have a desire to obey Jesus? Now, what I want you to get from this is that we cannot separate repentance from obedience. There are many people in our culture today that say things like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I prayed this little prayer when I was a kid so that makes me a Christian. But if you look at their life and you're going, but I'm not sure I see any desire in, of obedience to obey him. We can't separate repentance and obedience. We can't separate those two things. Those two things come together. In fact, I would say if there's not at least some desire in us to really obey Jesus, then I'm not sure that we can call ourselves saved. I'm not saying that you never struggle with sin. I'm not saying you don't struggle. Every Christian struggles, but I'm saying if there's not one ounce of desire for obedience to Jesus, I'm not sure that you're one of his followers. And so Paul, his his second question was, what should I do? I want to make sure that now that I know who you are, I want to make sure that I'm obeying you. Tell me what to do. Tell me what I have to do. So go ahead and look at your next two questions uh, questions four and five go ahead and discuss okay we're gonna we're gonna sprint through the rest of this passage so you have some time for discussion at the end look at verse twelve look at verse twelve. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. It says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very moment, I was able to see him. Now, when this guy calls him brother, this is not like we say today where we're like, hey, bro. This is not a casual greeting like, what's up, bro? What's up, bro? This is actually, this actually means something, you know? This actually means something. What what this means is he's basically calling him a Christian. This guy, Ananias, is seeing Paul for the first time as a Christian, he's saying, he's calling him brother, meaning Christian. You are my Christian brother. This is what he means when he says brother. Now, I want you to let this sink in for a moment. Paul, listen to me, Paul, who's been killing Christians, arresting Christians, gets struck with blindness by God for a few days, goes to Damascus, meets this guy Ananias, and Ananias sees him and says, calls him brother. Now, just for a moment, do you, do you hear the grace in that? Not the cry over here, I'm talking about the grace of... Do you, do you hear the grace? Just listen. Do you hear the grace in those words? When he calls him brother... Just think about that for a moment. He he is making a huge statement about Paul right there. And as Paul, put yourself again in Paul's shoes. Imagine you were Paul hearing that for the first time. Someone who you used to arrest and murder people that were just like this guy Ananias. And he is extending himself to you. And he is calling you brother, including you now in the family of God. What we learn from this is, is that family relationships are not earned. Family relationships are not earned. When you are brought into the family of God, it is not earned. Paul, tell me something. What did Paul do from the time he left the the place on the road to Damascus, to Damascus, had he done any good work? Had he done anything to deserve being called brother? No. Ananias extends to him the grace of God and says to him, includes him in the family of God, and Paul had done nothing to deserve it. Nothing to deserve it. Look at verse 14. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Verse 17 Paul says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul was at the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And he was giving approval to Stephen's death. So Paul's praying in this temple. He falls into a trance that was inspired by God. And uh, God tells him to get out. God, Jesus tells him, leave Jerusalem. No one's going to believe your testimony here. Now, you would think that everyone would believe his testimony because, I mean, he's Paul. Everyone has seen this huge contrast of who he used to be and who he now is. We know that people don't change their minds that quickly about things like religion, do they? People don't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I'm going to be a Christian, if they've been arresting and murdering Christians before that. Unless God does something really miraculous and profound. Look at verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. And that is where our story ends today in verse 22. Now listen, listen. So not not only do they not believe him but they now want to kill him because he wants to reach the gentiles. Now as we step back from this story, this is Paul's testimony. This is Paul's story. There is nothing that's more powerful than a testimony, a story of God changing someone. I want you to latch onto this quote your story is the most powerful way to share His story. If you're thinking of ways that you can share Christ with other people in your life, your story, what has happened to you in your life spiritually, I think is the most powerful way to share God's story. Yeah, I mean, of course, you've got to know Scripture. You've got to understand the, the Bible and, and the things from the Bible. But I think one of the best ways to share the gospel is to tell someone, here's what happened to me. Let me tell you what happened to me. And so, first of all, you've got to have a story, because if you don't have a story of, this is how God changed me, this is how God convicted me of sin, this is how I submitted my life, I surrendered my life to Jesus, if you don't have a story like that, I'm not sure you can call yourself a believer. Now, I know where your mind goes, because Most of you in the room were raised in the church for the most part. Not all, but but most of you in the room were raised in the church. And I know your response to me is like, but but Dave, my story is boring, right? Like, you didn't come out of the the womb, like, smoking pot and murdering people, right? Right? We just know, we just know you did not do that, okay? Listen up, listen up. So the knee-jerk reaction for most of us is, my story is boring. How many of you, in the first question, you said that about your story? You said, I think I have a boring testimony. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high and proud. There you go. Now, now that I know who you are, let me rip you, okay? Listen, listen. When people say, my story is boring, my testimony is boring, this statement drives me crazy. and I'll tell you why. Because when you are saying that you were, that your testimony is boring, what you are basically saying is, I wasn't saved from much. I'm not that sinful. You may not think you're saying that, but you're really saying, I'm a pretty good kid. And let me just remind you that the gospel is clear that no one is a pretty good kid. No one is a pretty good person in their own right. Because let me tell you, this is exactly what my story is. I was one of those kids that like, quote, prayed the prayer at like four years old and, and grew up in the church and high school hit and I thought I was a pretty good kid. College hit and God struck me with this awareness that I am self-righteous, I am prideful, I am arrogant, I think I am better than other people and so when I heard certain people's stories, or t- I'd sit there and go, "Man, man, you did you did that? Wow! I had so much respect for you before. Now, and I had this arrogance, this self-righteous attitude towards other people that had done certain things that I hadn't done. And I tell you what, God convicted me. God got a hold of me because he he showed me that he reminded me that who were the people that Jesus yelled at the most? in the New Testament? The Pharisees. Who are the people that he got the most harsh with? The Pharisees, which is what I was and still am today in many ways. And so, it is arrogant for us to think for a moment that we have a boring testimony because you don't, if you say that about yourself, you're basically saying, I'm not that bad. I'm not that sinful. I'm a pretty good person. And so, you guys have heard the statement that all sin is the same in the eyes of God. That is partly true, but I'll tell you today how it's not true. It's not true in the sense that pride, I think, is a worse sin. Not because it can't be forgiven by God, because it can. But pride is a worse sin, in a sense, because pride is accompanied by blindness. It's one of the only sins that's also accompanied by blindness. Blindness. I mean, the person who parties on Saturday night, they know they're doing some bad stuff, right? They're aware of their sin. But the person who's prideful and arrogant, self righteous like me, they're unaware of their sin. It's accompanied by blindness. And so, write this next statement down Pride makes you blind to sin. And when you're blind to sin, you're also blind to His grace. When you're blind to sin, you're also blind to God's grace. If you don't think you're that bad, if you don't think you're that sinful, you're not going to think you're in need of His grace. You're not going to recognize your need for grace. So do not ever say that you've got a boring testimony. Because when you say that, you are saying, I wasn't saved for much. The cross really wasn't for me it was for those other people, and I'm just kind of along for the ride. If if we're not that bad, then why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to take nails in his hands and his feet on our behalf if we're not that bad? Go ahead and discuss your last three questions. And you guys can pray to wrap up at your tables.